Hi, everybody. Welcome to another podcast. Uh, it is yours truly, Victoria Stillwell here. And today, actually, we got a special podcast for you because we've got a special guest. Now, Holly cannot be with us today, so she's with us by phone. Say hey, Holly. Something new. Hello, something new. So I will try, I will try and keep up with you. Yes, hi. And there's, uh, we also have the wonderful Dr. Paula Bloom, who is our psychologist. And we, th- this is a subject that I, I wanted her to be on tonight because it's really important and it's definitely something that's very much in the news. So welcome, Paula. Thank you very much. Good to see you, uh, quote unquote. Good to see you, quote unquote, and, uh, Holly. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of social media and bullying on social media and in the media. And if you think this is, oh, this is just a dog podcast, well, yes, it is. But we do talk uh, sometimes about things that are important and relevant. And because you know, my philosophy is very much of kindness is powerful and I am anti-bullying as uh, hopefully we all are. Uh, Something that's happened in the news recently has really affected me and millions of other people. Now, even if you don't know her, you might know of the show Love Island. Well, her name was Caroline Flack and she was the presenter. And unfortunately, on February the 15th, she committed suicide. Um, she was going through a, a little bit of a, um, I think she was involved in a court case. She had apparently assaulted her boyfriend, Lewis Burton, by throwing a lamp at him. The uh, Crown prosecu- cr- Prosecution were, were prosecuting the case, even though her boyfriend dropped the charges. And she was very much... Um, upset and very saddened by this and she was let go from her job on Love Island and February the 15th she killed herself and in large part as well people think because she was hounded in the press hounded in the media and hounded on social media to the point where on her Instagram around Christmas time she said that she's taking a step back. She's been advised to take a step back, be, uh, to take a rest from it all. So obviously there's a lot going on there, but it, this was came as a massive shock. It was a shock to yeah. everybody who knew the show, a shock to everybody and, who loved her. And Victoria, one thing that um, I did read, which is a big part of this that I'm sure Paula will weigh in on too, is that which is really unusual. I don't understand it because it's the British system, legal system. But one of the things is that she was not allowed to have any contact with her boyfriend, whom she was accused of assaulting, until after the trial, even though he did not want the charges to go through. And he was a very big support system for her and, you know, her best friend. And, you know, to not have the one person who means the most to you there to help you through. She was pretty much alone during all of that. So I think that was a big key as well. Um, and I know we'll get into that more, but that was a, that was a key issue. Yeah, I, I, I read that and, um, it was, it was, 
It seemed like her, she had a, a an apartment, a flat in Islington. I don't know whether it was a house or a flat, but she was definitely alone. A producer friend of hers had come over to keep her company. The friend had gone out to get provisions from the store or from the shop and came back to find that um, she had committed suicide. So obviously that loneliness as well compounded everything she was going through. So Paula, that's the reason why I wanted to talk about this today and, and, and have you on here as our wonderful guest to be able to make sense of this. Let me just start by saying a few things. And since we can't, we're not all in the same room, feel free to interrupt. I know we can't um, see each other, but let me just start with a few things that come to mind and jump in if you want to, if you have a specific question or want to clarify something. You know, the first thing I have to say, and I say this as a professional, which is that what I'm going to talk about are general ideas about stress and suicide. I did not meet um, with this lady, I don't know her, I haven't evaluated her one-on-one, and I always like to make sure that that is known, right, that this is based on my expertise as a psychologist who understands um, issues, mental health issues, and works in the suicide prevention world, so that's number one, so I want to make sure to get that out there. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. A lot of times people just don't understand how somebody who seems to have it all Right? I don't know if that's what you're referring to. You know, a lot of people see somebody who looks glamorous and has this life and can't imagine why would they take their own life, right? And the thing is that there can be a lot of different things that create stress, but there's never one thing. You can't point to one thing and say, okay, this is the reason this person took their own life, right? It's often, you know, it's much more complex. It may seem like it coincides with a particular event that happened in, the, in that person's life, but often, you know, it, it's something that's been escalating and escalating and escalating. The thing with, with suicide is that I think it's hard for us to wrap our head around it because as humans, as animals, our instinct is to want to live. Our instinct is try to do whatever we can to survive. And when we feel worn down and when people are really struggling and their ability to kind of see how to solve problems, to be able to problem solve. And when it gets more difficult for people to see possible options of how to solve problems that feel so complicated, things like social media and bullying and those things are huge. Those are really, really big, overwhelming kinds of problems. And the more that we feel worn down, the more narrow our field of vision can become to the point where we don't see solutions for how to stop the pain, how to stop the angst. We can't figure out any other way to do it other than to take our own life. There's always other options, right? But when we're really distressed, we're not able to access them. Yeah, I I I understand that. And and how how much so it's it's almost like and, and please forgive my words. Is it oh, almost sort of a distorted view of reality? Is it or it's become their reality? You know, I think that there's a difference between something being real and something being true. Anything we think or feel is real. I would never say to someone, that's not real. You're in pain, that's real. You feel like the world is all, all out to get you, that's real. That's how it feels. You know, there's things that are real and there's things that are true. There are things that are objective truths, right? Like somebody may feel like every single person on the planet hates them. That may be feel true. 
to that person, right? But it doesn't mean it is true. Um, so there can be this sense of a distorted view, you know? Um, but I don't want distorted to imply that the person is doing something wrong, right? That somehow they are intentionally um, trying to distort the way things are. You know, listen, we all have, no, nobody sees everything perfectly. None of us can. We're humans, right? Um, and so it's really important to know we all have a way that we look at the world. For any of us who wear glasses, you know. If you, you have a prescription for how you see the world and you look for glasses, you need glasses so that you can see things more clearly. We all have that. We all have, based on our life and our biochemistry and our childhood, we all have a prescription of how we see things right, and how we interpret things. And so we all have some kind of distortion. The issue is that when we're feeling really, really, really down and we're feeling really, really, really bad about ourselves, right, what ends up happening is we will only look for things that align with how we feel. Or, for example, sort of like we're scientists, you know, you have a hypothesis, right? My hypothesis is I'm a terrible person. And then you look for data to support the hypothesis, right? So you will look for things where people are criticizing you and judging you and ignore the things that don't support the hypothesis, right? If you believe that the world is a good place, you can find examples of that as well. If you think the world is a bad place, you can find examples of that as well. There's examples to support any kind of distortion or view we may have of ourselves or the world. It's the way that, that we are looking at things. It affects what we even allow ourselves to see. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And, you know, it's interesting because as you said that, Paula, it sort of reminds me a lot of what's happening in the world in general where we've become so polarized and we tend to go to our perspective corners, so to, say, so to speak, and get that reinforcement and you're looking for things like mine, things that will you agree with or that you know or think to be true. So if you're left-leaning, you may watch a left-leaning news show. If you're right-leaning, you may watch a right-leaning news show because oftentimes it seems like that those people and that, that kind of forum, it seems um, sort of validates your feelings. Right, right. And, and you know, and all of this also is to say we need to add another element. Like I said, I, I, I didn't um, work with her or know her, but, you know, if we are talking about something such as depression, right, or bipolar disorder or something, again, I am not making any kind of diagnosis, just when, what you all were talking about with the sort of the violent behavior or, right, throwing objects. Is that what you all said? Is that Holly or Victoria was there saying she was throwing yeah. up? Is that what you said? What you said, Victoria. Yes, she was, she, yeah. she threw a lamp. Right, she threw a lamp. And, you know, we can all get mad, and, you know, it's not about necessarily a one-time thing, right? It's a pattern. But a lot of times, you know, people who are very at high risk of, of dying by suicide, actually, are people who have mood disorders. I mean, depression is a mood disorder. Bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. Mood disorder is kind of a big category. And so, um, you know, when you... Find yourself, this isn't just, oh, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling bad. When I'm talking about, you know, depression or, you know, bipolar episode, that kind of thing, this is way outside, this is way beyond kind of garden variety, I'm stressed, I'm angry, I'm irritable. This is something that the intensity is more than you would imagine, the persistence, the amount of time it lasts is longer. You know, um, mental illness is something that has gotten so much stigma, right, so much stigma. Um, and depression and in particular bipolar disorder are some of the leading causes of suicide. Um, and both 
mood disorders, both depression and bipolar disorder, they're treatable. So for those of us who are struggling with mental health issues, just to know that just because you don't think you can get better doesn't mean you can't, and that some of the leading causes of suicide are preventable, are treatable, and that's really important information to have. Paula, let me ask you a question. When we're talking about, you know, there are different degrees. Can you maybe define as best you can sort of the layman's term? Because I know, you know, when there's certain people who suffer from depression, but then there's people who have, you know, are manic depressive. There are people right. who have bipolar. Right. There's different right. degrees. So just yes. because maybe you right. have a certain amount of depression or maybe it's hormonally induced or things, it's not as so talk a little no. bit about the difference. Sure. Well let's take a step back. So, you know, okay. the word depression, at least in the clinical world, right, as a psychologist has a specific meaning. We all say, Oh, that person's depressed, right? Or some will say, Oh, they're being bipolar, which means they're moody, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sort of in a clinical way. So we've got, you know, people can have a depressed mood, right, where you're feeling down, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean you have a mental health condition. It doesn't mean you have a diagnosis, right? You can be depressed, but that doesn't mean you have a depressive disorder, right? Right. So depression, depression is the down, right? Like the, you know, your, your feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, and maybe you're sleeping a lot or crying a lot or irritable. There's a lot of different symptoms. Um, Bipolar disorder, right, which was, used to be called manic depressive disorder, right, um, the depressive piece of the bipolar is two poles. It's, it's mania, which is the up, and then the depression, which is the down. And mania, which can be um, something where people have a lot of energy and they may not need to sleep and they can be very agitated and irritable. They seem like they're running on a motor, like they can't stop. They may not sleep for days. They may engage in all kinds of behavior. They may be a lot of times artists will describe who are bipolar that when they're manic they get all this stuff done and that kind of thing um so it's kind of a wide range i mean you can be you know feeling down all the way to being clinically depressed major depressive disorder you know am i am i am i answering the question holly yeah absolutely because i know a lot of times you know you think oh she suffered from, you know, mental or emotional disorder or something, depression. But, you know, a lot of people think, well, gosh, I've been depressed before, but I've never felt like taking my own life. So there's right. so many different degrees. Right. Because, right. I mean, I've had friends who have had severe depression, and I, I, you know, I can understand. They, they, they describe it as they just, it's that feeling of helplessness. They don't know how to get out of it where, yeah. you know, I've had mood swings or hormonal swings, and you just think, oh, I don't feel good today. But right. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in the deck. Right. It's the severity. You know, you're looking at it's the severity, it's the persistence, it's the frequency. Those are the things that help define something, right, as more than just I'm feeling down. So for, for those people who have been saying she looked like she had uh, everything, she was a celebrity, she had an amazing job, she looked like she had the world, um, well, what, obviously there's more that goes on. It doesn't matter whether you're a celebrity or not, or, or your job or not, you right. know, it, it, it doesn't. But what would you say to people who say, well, you know, she, yeah, she, she had some things going on, but she had everything. Like, what is she doing being, being depressed? Right. Yeah. So it, it's so, I mean, first of all, we're all humans, and humans experience the same range of emotions. I don't care what you are, how much money you have, what you look like, where you are on the planet. 
there is a amount of common emotions that we all experience, right? Sadness, joy, anger, we can experience despair. The causes are not as relevant. So once we start comparing ourselves and saying, well, what did they have to be upset about? You know, this isn't some sort of an Olympics. We're not, this isn't the um, pain Olympics where we're comparing each other's pain and who's justified in feeling what they're feeling, right? I think a lot of times we do that. And the implication when we do that is basically that you shouldn't feel, you're only allowed to feel upset if these certain five things have happened to you. And if you don't, if money isn't a problem, you have no, no, um, right to be upset. If you're mildly more on the more attractive side, you're not allowed to be upset. I mean, we, it's ridiculous what we do in society when we decide who, who's the arbiter of what you're allowed to be upset about, right? The bottom line is none of us are immune. And if we're dealing especially with issues around mental health issues, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, it doesn't care what you look like. It doesn't matter how attractive you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what's in your bank account. None of that matters. Your color doesn't matter. Nobody is immune to these types of things, to pain. When we talk about suicide, it cuts across all demographics. Um, it does not um, include, it, nobody is, you know, I, I feel so passionate about this. It's like none of us are immune. None of us are immune. Um, and so that's why it's really important for us to have compassion with ourselves and with others. And, you know, I know a lot of times what I've heard people say, and I know, you know, being friends, too, with you, Victoria, somebody, you know, you're my friend, and I know that you're a public figure, and uh, people think that that people, you know, it's like, oh, you can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter, right? Who cares? It doesn't matter. They're famous. It doesn't matter. You know, we're also humans. Everybody is a human, so I don't know if you want to speak to that, but it's sort of like I feel like there's sort of this um, – I don't know, people like forget their humanity when they're dealing with someone who happens to be a public figure. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, why do we have yeah. to... I know what you're saying, Paul. It's interesting because I think a lot of people think, well, you put yourself in the public eye and that's how you, you know, that's right. how you make your living and that's how you make your money, so therefore you're fair game. But, you know, people aren't aren't, aren't two-dimensional. People, you know what I mean, there, there's... There's many aspects to anybody, just like no one person is, you know, what they are at any single day or what they are related to one single incident. They're, we're deep, you know, beings and that people think, well, I know you because you're on TV or I know what you are because you're in that movie. But, you know, there's so much more to somebody. But they right. right. And so to me, the question is, oh, you know, people say, oh, yeah, you put yourself out there. Yeah, but if you're the one, as a member of the public, I have to take responsibility for how I treat others, whether they're famous or not. Right? Uh, yeah, you do. And so, so I mean, th this comes brings me around to the other part of the conversation, which addresses bullying and social media bullying and media harassment. And that was all going on in her life times a hundred, uh, from what I've experienced. But when I remember when I was in England and, a, and an episode that came on and aired and that, um, you know, a dog had to be euthanized um, and it, it, you know, the backlash against me was, was massive. That was very hard to take. I was receiving threats against myself, against my family. And um, this dog had mauled a child uh, in a frenzied attack five times, scarred her for life, physically and psychologically. And 
the decision had already been made by the family and the vet, but because I was filming down south, this was six weeks after I had filmed with them for my show, It's Me and the Dog, because I was filming down south, I couldn't get up there, so the producers filmed me on the phone, and it looked like I was saying, yeah, just put the dog down, where actually... Um, the decision had already been made. I was supporting them. And uh, after that, um, that was when, gosh, this was in 2006, when I, or 2005 slash six, I forget which one it was, but um, where, I, you know, I had taken my daughter to see Disney on Ice that night. I hadn't watched the show when it aired. And I came back and that was the time I had my email on my website. And um, it, 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 I came back to emails and emails and emails from people saying the most hateful things calling me a dog killer and that that I should die and that um so should my family so I mean that was that was my first experience I mean I've had criticism before and I had criticism and some of it was was actually pretty constructive and that I took on board and but but nothing to the extent of what it was like then and then nothing compared to the social media now where Everybody is a keyboard warrior. Everybody is an expert, and everybody can hide behind now, uh, hide behind a screen. Now, I, I do enjoy a a lot of support, and ninety seven percent of it is positive. But the three percent, I've been called every name under the sun, and you know, I. I'm very outspoken about treating dogs humanely in the name of when training and everything else, whether it's a companion or a working dog. That's just me. And I know because we want emotionally balanced dogs, because it's more effective, because it's safer, but less people will be get bitten. You can't fight fire with fire, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and the science backs me up, right? But there are still people there that threatened by what I say and have attacked me as a result. And so after hearing about Caroline Flack, I went on my Facebook and I wrote about, and I didn't mince words, I wrote every single word that had been said to me, and it's not pretty. Um, and I basically just said, just stop. Just stop. It's almost like the sort of the Me Too in a way that this, this needs to become a movement where cyberbullying and media bullying and social media, but whether you're a celebrity or not, People just stop. Yeah, no. And I think it's interesting because our nature as human beings, whether it's online or otherwise, is to connect with others and to care about what others think in a way. It's what we need growing up, right? We're humans. We are we are dependent to survive as infants. We are dependent on um, bringing some warm affection from those around us to take care of us, right? We are bound. We are completely wired for human connection. And so it becomes a very interesting thing when you're trying to have this human connection in this sort of cyber world, right? It's still a human trying to interact with another human or who we think is another human. So it makes sense that we're going to take things personally. It makes sense that we're going to get upset. You know, um, and I'm also thinking that the people who are public figures a lot of times who are um, comfortable with and, and seek out and are, are actually can handle and are comfortable being a public figure in service of a mission or a project or that kind of thing, um, that same ability and skill set and willingness to be out there, right, is also what makes you vulnerable because in being out there and being honest about who you are and 
you know, because people want to interact with people who are authentic, right? So that person who's a public figure who's authentic and lets people really know them is then also, the downside of that, more vulnerable and um, more sensitive, right, to what's going to be coming in because people are going to think, oh, I really know this person. They've let me know them. Let me tell them. You know, let me let me go after them. Let me attack them. Let me, you know, because they've made caricatures out of out of people. You know, so it's it human human relationships don't end where the computer begins, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that we talk about so much: the, the bullying culture. And the problem is, there's this disinhibition that can happen, right? When you're online, you're not you. People say things online they would never say face to face in a room. Haven't you been in that situation? Have you guys been in a situation where somebody, right, like what they oh, say yeah. online? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you see it all the time, absolutely. People, I think people are empowered to, uh, you know, sort of, you know, they're, they're hidden behind a computer screen and they're hidden, so it doesn't really matter what they say, they think, because nobody knows who they are. They're anonymous, so they can just do and say whatever they want because there's no consequences on them. There's no repercussion, usually. Right. And that's why, you know, one of the things that I was really glad about, I know New York has already passed this law, or there was uh, recently that, you know, they're they're now criminalizing it. If you encourage somebody to commit suicide, for instance, you could go to jail. You could be an accessory. Like, that is going to be illegal, and I, and I hope that that becomes, you know, more common in every state because I think people have become so desensitized to it because they think, oh, I can say what I want, whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. They don't think about a human being being on the other side because it's all electronic and it's all, right. you know, the Internet magic. And, right. you know, they should, they should have they should have to take responsibility for their actions. Just like if somebody pushed you in front of a bus, if somebody pushed you to do something, same thing. Yep. Yeah. No, I think that that's a, that's a really really good point about the accountability piece. I mean, the concept of the golden rule applies, right? If you wouldn't want somebody necessarily saying it about you or to you, you know, you may want to rethink saying it to someone else. You know, the thing is that with everything, you know, language is really, really important. And something you just said kind of reminded me, you know, we we don't treat words with the respect that they deserve. And I'm talking about even things like when people say, oh, my gosh, I have heard kids say to other kids, oh, my gosh, you should just kill yourself. They'll say it very casually, right? Or I'm just going to, that's it, I'm going to kill myself. I, people using language um, very casually, you know, especially in this culture of, of killing somebody who's stressed out, you know what, just kill yourself. I mean, it sounds, I hear this, I worked at a college campus, like, I hear this kind of language, and we need to start taking a step back and paying attention to the, what we're saying. What is the language that we're using? You know, because if we get desensitized, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think you're right, too, and I think a lot of people don't understand when somebody might have a mental illness that their words can actually have real reactions because they could think if I said to somebody, oh, you should just go kill yourself, that most people would be like, that's ridiculous. Who's going to do that because you said that? But not understanding what a true mental illness is, doesn't, you know, you don't understand what the consequences to something that seems trivial to you could be. Right, right. And to really, you know, to, and, you know, we think about that stuff, it does sound very trivial, but it's like, if someone takes a step back, the next time you, if you're somebody who has the impulse to say that to someone, right, like you should go kill yourself, take a step back and think about what you're saying. What, you're saying that you're saying that they're like this? 
Yeah, their life doesn't matter. Like, you know what? You know, you shouldn't even yeah. be here. That's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, and I get it. I get that people, you know, you, that you're trying to be a place for humor and sarcasm. I understand all of that. I really do. I'm not about being the word police. But what I will say is think about, you know, intention versus impact. It doesn't matter. What, I mean, even if your intention was fine, it doesn't mean there isn't an impact. And so starting to really think about how you talk to those around you, and really, frankly, the way you talk to yourself as well, um, because bullying is it's something we do to ourselves as well, and a lot of times, people who are dealing with depression, for example, it's like they have this bully inside of them, telling them what a piece of crap they are all the time. It is, it can be relentless, and so sometimes when people just can't take it anymore, whether they're using drugs or alcohol or end their life, it's often because there is this relentless bully inside of them that cannot and will not just stop talking to them. It will beat up on them and beat up on them and beat up on them and it can wear them out. And, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not just how people bully us from the outside. It's how we bully ourselves. We have a huge impact. You know, that's really interesting, Paula, what you say about that, that there's like an internal bully. I mean, we all know, I'm sure we've all been bullied at some point in our lives, um, and we know how horrific that feels, how horrible that is. But to have that internally, um, you're, you've got an internal bully saying, bullying you all the time. I mean, that must be terrifying. Yeah, we we all have that critic, you know. It can be something, you know. You think about like if you if you have kind of, you know, we all have these like little critical voices, right? Like, oh, really? Are you going to really eat another one of those? Or oh, are you wearing that? Or did you say that? You know, you say something in the conversation. Oh, why did you say that? It made you sound stupid. You know, we all have these kind of voices in us, right? To sort of offer commentary on what's going on in our lives, for better and for worse. Um, but when there's one that's such a pronounced bully, I mean, it's it's really hard. And, you know, I've worked a lot with people who've, um, who have attempted suicide and survived and talked to them about kind of their experiences. And that's one of the things that they seem to share in common is that there is, they could not stop that voice from beating up on them. That was one of the reasons they just said, you know what, I had a few people recently, actually, that I've spoken to about it, say that that was part of it. They were trying to quiet that voice. Um, but thankfully, they're the ones, the people that I'm thinking about right now that I spoke to, I mean, they're they're doing well, they're in treatment. Um, but you know what it's like to have a bully? How hard and painful that is. Imagine it's inside. So, Paula, you know, for for somebody, can, can you give us sort of some coping mechanisms or tools in a toolbox to help? I mean, obviously, if you know, it's an ongoing issue. Somebody does need to seek help, and you know, there's. Right. there's right. I think hopefully the stigma is being, you know, is being dissolved around something like that because it used to be, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years after. Oh no, you can handle it yourself when you really can't. Right. Right. Well, what I say to people when they say you should handle it yourself, and I say, yeah, you're right. Handling it yourself means asking for help yourself. Right. You're handling it yourself when you pick up the phone and call for help. So, in my opinion, that is handling it, right? Um, I think that, you know, it depends. I mean, if we're talking about mental health issues, yeah. I mean, one of the keys is to, you know, ask for help. I know here in the States we've got 1-800. We have those suicide um, 24-7 lines. I don't know what resources there are um, in England. 
Um, but what's key here is to recognize if you can just, there's just one thing that can help, one thing, which is if you can take a moment, take a step back and see, ask yourself, is it possible that what my brain is telling me isn't true? Is it possible that things, that there is some light that I can't see? You know, a little bit of self-doubt. You know, the way that I talk about it is that hopelessness is a sense of certainty that you can predict the future. If you think everything's going to be terrible and it's always going to be awful, right, that's hopelessness. What that says is you think you know that how things are going to go and you assume they're going to be bad. My thing, my um, ask is that people take a moment, if they can, to take a step back and ask themselves the question, is it possible you know, it's cloudy out, but there's still sun, even if you can't see it. Can you consider the possibility that even if you don't see light, there is light there, you know? So that's kind of the broad, right, when it comes to having some awareness. But what I'll say to your question specifically, you know, Holly, is this. We need to connect with other people. It's what we need. So what I would say is one of the best places people can go to start coping and dealing with this is to allow themselves to be honest and authentic in a relationship, and a friendship, whatever it is, as a starting point to tell somebody the truth about how they're doing, somebody they feel safe with. Because it's a lot of times it's all the stuff we keep in our head and don't talk about um, that can take on a life of its own. There's, so, you know, um, go ahead, go ahead. I was just say, so, and, so what if, um, uh, you know, you know somebody or you have a child or a friend who's being bullied, what do you do as somebody who, you know, wants to help or can offer help? Um, you know, the first thing to do is when somebody comes to you with talking about bullying, don't dismiss it, right? And don't immediately necessarily just start trying to fix it and say, okay, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you try this? Did you try this? The first thing is if somebody's dealing with bullying, they need to know that somebody is listening to them and somebody is saying, is validating them, right? That this is difficult and this is painful. A lot of times what we want to say to people is, oh, don't worry. It's just a bully. Ignore, ignore. And that is a strategy at times. That can work. They can work at times and with some types of people, but not everybody's wired the same way. So I think it's um, acknowledging to the person, listen, you know, this is awful. You know, I can see that what you're going through is difficult, and let's see if we can come up with some solutions and problem solve. I mean, there's big structural changes that need to happen, I think, um, as far as in our politics, right, and kind of the discourse in general of what's going on. Um, but ultimately, to me, it's about not letting people, you know, people need to make sure that they know that they've got somebody who's got their back. I think you're, you're so right about that. I mean, there was, um, there was a study, uh, an article I read, um, about, you know, what, what was the secret to longevity? And the number one thing was community. That people who had community around them tended to live longer. Because isolation, feeling lonely, not having anyone to talk to, feeling desperate, not being able to share was, it is extremely damaging. So even if that community is one other person, that, that is, that is, that means a lot. Right, right. And again, with mental health issues, getting treatment is really important. The problem with something, for example, like depression is that hopelessness is a symptom of it. 
So if you don't realize you can get better, right? Because when you feel hopeless, you can't imagine feeling better. But um, if there was one thing I could say to people out there who may be listening to this who've dealt with depression and are hopeless, all I'm going to say to you is this. If you don't have hope that you can get better, that's fine. You can borrow mine. I have a lot of it to share and to spare until you find your own. And there's millions of people who've dealt with depression, who've dealt with bipolar disorder, who've gotten better. So just know that just because you don't see how to get out of a situation doesn't mean there isn't an exit. You just have to crack the door open a little bit by asking somebody for help. And that's why we have you on the show. Because you put everything into perspective and I it's 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 such important information you know um with my with Facebook I know that a lot of my followers um on Facebook sometimes are quite open about their issues with depression and their experiences um with mental health and so you know I I like to see my Facebook as a supportive community and indeed when I posted about what had happened to me with the bullying and the cyber bullying and the, the, the names that I'd been called that, um, there was a, a massive, uh, overwhelming support from, from people that followed my page. And that was really encouraging to see. I just, I just hope that other people can see that, you know, there is support for them too. Yeah. But, um, well, Thank you so much. Uh, I so appreciate it. And I know, I'm, again, I'm sorry, guys, for the sound quality. Um, I hope that you were able to hear Paula and Holly well enough. Um, Paula, do you have anything else you want to say? I have a lot I want to say, but all I really do want to say is I have a lot I want to say, but I just what I want to say in this situation in particular is that, you know, Nobody knows what anybody's inner experience of the world is. So if we could at least take a step back and if we could kind of commit um, to honoring the idea that none of us knows the fullness of any other person that we don't really know, that no photograph, no video, no book, nothing can ever tell you the full picture of who somebody is. Right. right. So next time you think you know someone and you want to start yelling at them publicly or whatever, take a step back and consider the possibility um, that they're just as complex as you and that there's another human being on the receiving end of what you're about to say and that it's really, really important that we treat each other with some compassion and recognizing that all of us are much more complicated than any uh social media profile could ever ever let us know i think that's so important because you know i think one of the things i i always try and keep in mind is that you don't really know what anybody else has been through you don't know what they're dealing with i mean i have a friend who lost his mom yesterday and he didn't respond to a text and you know it got to be this big thing and it's like hold on a second before you start to be judgmental you know take a step back and and know that people have their own lives and they're going through things you don't know what they're dealing with or what they might have dealt with that shaped who they are right. and you and I with judgment you're seeing them through your eyes you're not right. looking at them for who they are 
And I would say that it goes both ways, too, for those people out there who feel so bad about themselves is to think you yourself aren't a caricature. You yourself aren't just one thing, one mistake you've made. You know, you yourself are much more complex than that as well. You know, um, there's a quote that I love, and I, I have on my phone I always put quotes that are meaningful to me at the moment, depending just so that when I pick up my phone I'm reminded. And one of them I've had up there before, um, this quote I love, it says, your, per- your perception of me is a reflection of you. My reaction to you is an awareness of me. Mm. That's okay. Yeah. It does. It does. And I... Yeah, I just want to say thank you. I know, um, Victoria, how passionate you are about the subject and and how close to home it hits for you. So I just want to I want to thank you and I want to thank Holly for giving me an opportunity um, to comment on something that's really important. I just wanted to thank you and for how you continue to use your um, your platform, uh, Victoria, as an opportunity to spread positivity way beyond you know, in the dog world and way beyond. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I feel blessed to have amazing friends like you. And um, thank you so much. Holly, thanks so much for for coming on. I know you're really, really busy. And the same with you, Paula. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, guys, that's it. We are. We, uh, one thing, can yes. I do one thing real quick? Yes. I just want to let people know um, there is a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's a phone number, um, and if you have a pen or can jot it down, it's one eight hundred two seven three talk eight two five five. And you know the people who give up their time, and and you know even if you just have an inkling, and and that thought goes through your head, pick up the phone and call them. That's what they're there for. You just never know, you know, who you're going to end up talking to and how the conversation will go. And, it can, you know, that it's there for a reason, the 1-800-273-TALK. Just write it down, have it with you. You never know when you're going to need to give it to a friend. Thank you. Guys, you're awesome, and um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. I think it's a very important one. We will be getting back to dogs next week, but um, I hope that if you are struggling, that this has helped you and that you can find the help that you need. Um, and thank you so much for, for trusting us and for spending your time to listen to this. Take care, everybody. Love you loads. Bye. Okay.